I appreciate those who do special music. Actually, last night we had special music, I thought, as well. <clears throat> a lot of us around the campfire and a couple of guitars and some singing. And uh, very, very, very pleasant and nice to be able to enjoy that together. I noticed last night my voice was getting pretty raspy. <clears throat> I've been kind of fighting it the last couple, three days. It's not used to this much effort on a daily basis. Uh, once a week uh, is one thing, but every day is another. So I'm praying that it lasts through today and through tomorrow anyway. <clears throat> but it's uh, pretty raspy. Anyway, we'll deal with it. Well, we started a series based on Hebrews 11 and uh, Paul's little synopsis of each of those people and how they will be in the first resurrection and receive eternal life. And with a reference to Isaiah 51, where uh, we're told to look where we ca- at where we came from, <coughs> um, and we're, we're really hastening along in this series. This is the seventh day, and we've made it through three. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. However long it takes is all right, because now we're coming up to Abraham and Sarah. And uh, here in Isaiah 51, I read the other day, but... He says, Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek the eternal. Look to the rock whence you are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah that bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. And then he goes on to say how he will comfort Zion in all her waste places and make her wilderness like Eden. <clears throat> and our desert like the garden of the eternal. Uh, and I think I went on down and showed that the timing is right here at the end. It's not the millennium. It's a time when he's about to shake the heavens and the earth and so on. So what is uh, prophesied here is to happen here very shortly where God makes an example of his church for the rest of the world to show that if we obey, he will bless And we are to look to him and believe him when he says he is a rewarder of them that diligently obey. So he gives a specific instruction to look to Abraham and Sarah, who are two of the monstrous examples in the Bible and in the past, and Abraham who became the father of Israel, and the father of the faithful, as it's put. So this is a, a huge example for us to consider, and quite a little time is devoted to Abraham and to Sarah, even in the initial write-up in Genesis, and then throughout the Bible, of course, they are mentioned over and over again. It is so outstanding, if you will, for anyone to truly obey God, to truly put God first in his life. And there aren't many examples of that throughout history. Uh, Just a few. So, if any of us can begin to live up to what our forebears did, and the classic, truly good examples in the Bible, 
That puts us in a special category uh, with God because there have not been very many. I don't mean that we're supposed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and become self-righteous or whatever, but truly, unfeignedly, uh, we need to be from the heart seeking God in every way we can, and that means a lot to Him. It's easy to get bogged down in day-to-day life. It's easy to lose focus and perspective of why we're here on this earth. But the relationship between us and our Father in Heaven and Emmanuel the Christ is the most important thing that there is, period. And I mean head and shoulders and hips and knees above anything else. Uh, Because it's the key to eternal life in the kingdom of God. Uh, with the kind of security and joy and happiness and lack of trouble that all human beings aspire to have but never seem quite to grasp in this life. So there is something ahead that is so much better than what we have experienced that there is no comparison whatsoever. Uh, So we have to focus. Without vision, the people perish. But with with true vision and understanding then they move forward toward eternal life. Abraham was one of those. Let's pick it up in chapter 11 of Genesis. It gives the generations of Shem, beginning in verse 10, and comes down to uh, Nahor and Terah in verse 25. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor and Haran, in verse 26. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. So then Abraham and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the daughter of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. (coughs) But Sarah, notably, was barren. She had no child. So they got married, and nothing happened on the child scene. And back then, uh, even more than today, having children, and even lots of children, was important to society and to women in particular because that was one of their main functions was to have and rear uh, responsible children for their husbands. Anyway, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son. Notice clearly here he calls, uh, makes it plain that Lot is not Abram's brother but is the son of his brother, so it's his nephew. A little later on in the context, uh, Lot is referred to as Abraham's brother on at least a couple of occasions. Uh, So the reason I mention that is not that there's a contradiction there, but he was viewed as close family. And it harkens back to what we were talking about yesterday uh, when... It mentioned that Noah had saw what his son had done. Well, it wasn't actually his son, it was his grandson. But the term son is used. It's in, it was in his son's line. 
<clears throat> so they took a certain amount of license uh, in the family relationship that way. And uh, Lot was certainly a nephew, not a, not a brother, but he was called that. And they were in one sense brothers in Christ, if you will. Just as we uh, all here refer to each other sometimes as brother and sister, and we're not at all physically, but uh, certainly spiritually we are. So those things are done. <clears throat> sometimes it can cloud the meaning somewhat. Anyway, uh, so he took Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now notice it says that they intended to go to Canaan, but the truth is they never got there. And we'll see a little later on that that is the case. Anyway, Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran, <clears throat> so he stayed there. Haran uh, was one of Terah's sons. So the area where Haran was in the Ur of the Chaldees uh, was named after Haran. And that's where uh, Terah died and didn't go into the land of Canaan. Now, chapter 12, Now, the Lord said to Abram, Get you out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. So, they had not gotten out of the land that they had been possessing in Ur of the Chaldees, and particularly in the area called Haran. So, God's intention was for Abraham to leave there and to move on, uh, where Terah actually had earlier intended to go, but never uh, accomplished it. I notice that the instruction here is very, very similar to Matthew 19.29 and Mark 10.29, where Christ tells us that we have to be willing to give up father, mother, brother, sister, I think uh, mate, children, land and houses, and so on, and go where Christ needs us to go. So this, that instruction of Christ goes way back even uh, to Abraham's day, where he told him the same thing, in essence. Leave house, leave home, leave the land, leave your relatives. I want you to go somewhere. And I haven't shown you yet or even told you where you're going. Now that's noted in Hebrews 11 by Paul, that Abraham said okay, and got up and went, not even knowing where he was headed. Uh, and that's not just on a trip, that was moving, that was taking everything, the whole kit and caboodle, and going. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, this is being stated at a time when Sarai had not had any children. So, this is the first clue God gives Abram that he's going to make a great nation out of him, and yet he was childless. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. 
That's a pretty nice promise, isn't it? That's incredible. Anybody that blesses you, I will bless. And anybody that curses or hates you, I will curse them. He was putting an awful lot of confidence in Abram, even at this early calling stage, because he recognized a lot of quality in Abram. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. What if God came to you and said, I'm going to bless the whole earth because of you? I, I, I really doubt that we're going to hear that individually. Or wait a minute. If we do what we're supposed to do, Will not God bless the entire earth during the millennium because of the help that the bride of Christ can provide? There's nothing promised to any of these patriarchs that hasn't been promised to us. You and me, here. So I can say this is a stupendous thing. But don't you think that after there's a few billion or a hundred billion or whatever people during the millennium, that they will look at you as part of the bride of Christ and say, boy, we're blessed. Christ's bride is, boy, she's just always doing things for us. She's serving us, she's helping us, she's leading us and guiding us, and we have certainly been blessed to be acquainted with Christ's wife. All the world will be blessed in us. So don't read this like it's ancient history and Abraham sure was a good guy. We got the same potential. And really, uh, it's a bigger potential in that sense because we're talking about spiritual blessing of the whole earth by spirit beings, not by a physical man who's whose children and children's children could be a blessing to the earth. And in many respects, if you look at, uh, even in this modern era, at Europe and the United States, who's the one that spread Bibles all over the earth? Was it the Muslims? Was it the Chinese? No, it was the Western Europeans and Americans. And who has given more foreign aid and helped more people than anyone else? Those nations, and particularly this one. <clears throat> We've kind of changed our tune, however, and got the big head and took the bit between our teeth. So now instead of blessing them with foreign aid and other kinds of blessings, even though that sometimes still goes on, now it's more for political favor and now we've decided that bombs are more important for them than dollars. That the bombs will do them more good. So we become the hammer of the whole earth and they're bombing them out. So uh, we have departed from what God said would occur. It did occur. But we've morphed into something entirely different than what we were. Anyway, verse 4, So Abram departed as the Eternal had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy-five years old when he left Haran. 
So he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now Terah had made a threat to go there, but he stayed in Haran. Now Abram was told to go there, and he headed there, and into the land he came. <laughs> he makes a point that he actually did what he had been told. Uh, it's one thing to intend to obey God. Good intentions pave the road to where? I've heard all my life. No, we've got to do what God tells us to do. And in this case, Abraham, or Abram, he still is called, followed through and did what he was told. And he passed through the land to Sechem, under the place of Mora, and the Canaanite was then in the land. So I went here uh, yesterday a little bit, showing that Canaan, the son of Ham, was the one who was cursed, and even the land that he had taken was later given to Shem. And they dwelt around and in the tents of Shem, just as the prophecy had said. So the Eternal appeared to Abram and said, under your seed will I give this land, the land of Canaan. And there built he an altar to the Eternal who appeared to him. You'll notice as we go through that frequently when anything important occurs, Abram turns and gives an offering to God. That he is ever mindful of his relationship with God. Always wanting to give God credit and thanks and offer uh, worship to God. Uh, there's a trait of his character that is very, very important for us to hone in on because we in our lives need to be thankful, as so many, many scriptures tell us, always giving thanks to God for all the blessings that we have been given. And Abram certainly had that mindset, so we can look to him uh, to develop our own thankful attitudes. We don't need to be in the attitude of, well, why haven't you done this? Or why won't you do that? Or I prayed about this and I wanted it, why didn't you give it to me? You know, we can become spoiled brats physically, but we can also do that spiritually with God if we're not careful, uh, taking Him for granted. But Abram didn't take God for granted. Uh, when, when things occurred, he immediately gave thanks and turned to God and would build an altar and give God glory and thanksgiving. Uh, praise and hallelujah and glory to God should always be in our mind and on our lips. And he removed from there to a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched, pitched his tent and so on. And he went on toward the south in verse 9, and there was a famine, and Abram went down into Mitzrayim to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So he got to Canaan, and things didn't go too well right away. Uh, he was there a bit, and then famine hit, and trouble came. So even when we're obeying God and we do what God says, that doesn't mean that everything is always going to be easy, does it? Uh, we came here with high expectations, but everything hasn't been easy. 
And God said there would be a rebellion here. Well, now we're in the throes of that, and uh, it isn't pleasant. So whatever God says is going to happen, and we have to be ready to deal with whatever circumstances there are. Now, had God forgotten Abram and said, well, I got you into Canaan, now I'm going to starve you to death? Kind of like the Red Sea later on. You delivered us from Mitzrayim. You got us across the Red Sea. Wow, that was a wonderful passage. But today's today, and I'm thirsty. Just that fast. So things didn't go immediately well for Israel, even after that incredible uh, deliverance that God gave them and the destruction of the entire <laughs> Mitzrayim army. So here they got into famine. Did that shake Abraham? that things didn't go well. No, he went down. So he came near to enter into Mitzrayim, and he said to Sarah, Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that you are a fair woman to look at. And I know that if I say you're my wife, that uh, these Egyptians might just kill me and take you. So I want you to tell them you're my sister, and then maybe they'll spare me, and so on. Now, he did this uh, two or three different times. And in fact, a little later on, there's a statement made that from the time they got married, he asked her, when they came across people, always to say, he's my brother. She must have been an extraordinarily looking woman probably one of the most beautiful women that's lived. Because even when she was in her 60s and 70s and so on, uh, Pharaoh and Abimelech and others who saw her wanted her right away. And they would have their men go and get her, bring her to them. And she'd say, well, he's my brother. Now, that didn't always work out for them. And I even wonder if that might not have been a bit of a sore spot between Abram and Sarai. A woman likes to be uh, respected by her husband. She likes for her husband to stand up for her, to defend her, to, uh, to uh, defend her honor. And uh, what would she think? What would you think if you're a wife and your husband said, uh, I'm not going to tell the world you're my wife. You're just my sister. I don't think that would go overall too well with most of you ladies. Uh, you'd like to be held forth. If I am your wife, tell them for pity's sake. That's what it is. Uh, maybe they had an understanding that transcended that. I don't know. It doesn't say. But to me, it seems a little awkward, and it caused some awkward times. In this particular account, I won't go through and read it verse by verse, but uh, Pharaoh sent for her, and and everything seemed to be going quite well. Uh, But then he found out that that was indeed his wife. And it scared him, because word must have come somehow that Abram was in a relationship with God, uh, and therefore Pharaoh was somewhat concerned. 
Is this the one where he, this isn't the one where he was cursed. I think that was, that was Abimelech. But he got, he got scared. Verse 18, Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I might have taken her to, for, to me to wife. Now therefore, behold your wife, take her and go your way. Uh, so uh, when he found out it indeed was the wife, he backtracked and sent her back to Abram. Well, maybe their ploy kind of worked, but he was still ticked off about the whole thing <laughs> and was afraid he'd do something that he shouldn't have done in that case. So even though Abram was an incredible example, there's at least twice uh, with Pharaoh and Abimelech where they did this thing and probably did it at other times since they'd made that agreement earlier. Uh, but it always caused trouble. Now, was it a lie? Not entirely. She was his half-sister, but not his full sister. So she was half-sister, and she was wife. So he told part of the truth. He just didn't tell the whole truth. And the important part of the truth he didn't tell. And it got him in trouble. Uh, Abimelech was actually cursed by God and had all kinds of things go wrong as a result of taking Sarai from Abram. And uh, he didn't go for that. So their subterfuge cost Abimelech a lot of pulled out hair. Uh, so I, I would say this was not a good thing. This was something there in Abraham's character, Abram at this time, that he was too fearful of the results of people around, of what they would do to him. So even though he was bold, and even though he was brave in many respects, uh, there was a certain fear there that resided in him that caused him to do this kind of uh, subterfuge. And uh, I would say that's something that probably needed corrected over time. So even though he is a paramount example for us to look to, here again we could take encouragement that he also made mistakes and that God was willing to work with him in spite of those mistakes. He made the same mistake with Abimelech, but God is the one that put the curses upon Abimelech to make him wake up to the fact that, hey, something's not right here, and to get it corrected before he made a horrible mistake of making her his own wife. I think it would have gone better, and God would have backed them anyway, had they just told the absolute truth right off the bat. See, that's the problem with marrying a woman who is by far and away more beautiful than the other women around. Because you have other men who see her and lust after her and covet her, and they do all kinds of things to try to have her. Uh, that's in the modern world and in the ancient world either way. So having a beautiful wife like that could be a wonderful thing for Abram, but on the other hand, it had its downside. Uh, because Pharaoh and Abimelech and I'm sure others were always after her. Anyway, verse chapter 13, Abram went up out of 
Mitzrayim, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with, with him into the south. <coughs> Apparently, uh, Mitzrayim was, uh, was south of Canaan, south of here. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. So where had he gotten silver and gold? There is none in the Middle East. And if that's where they were, uh, it would have had to have been imported from a long, long, long way away. Down in the middle of Africa somewhere, or uh, from over here, or from somewhere. But he had riches, riches of silver and gold. And we know that in southern Utah, in this area, there is uh, incredible... One of the biggest silver mines on earth is right there out of St. George, Silver Reef, out there where Leeds is. Uh, very highly productive silver mine the government shut down after World War II. And there's gold as well. Anyway, <clears throat> he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Eternal. So he says, we went down to Mitzrayim uh, during this famine, and now we're back here where you told me to come. And he called on God. What's next, Lord? <laughs> you know, might, might have been his question. And Lot went with him, and the land was not able to bear them. He had many cattle, and Lot being with him probably had many cattle as well. And then their herdsmen began to uh, fight among themselves as to who got the best grass. So verse 8, Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray you, between you and me, and between my herdmen and your herdmen, for we're brothers, or we're brethren. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself, I pray, from me. If you'll take the left, I'll go right. If you depart to the right, then will I go left. Now, here's an element of Abraham's, or Abram at this time, he hadn't been renamed yet, of his character. He wasn't a selfish man. He didn't say, look, I'm your uncle. You're my nephew. I outrank you here. This is mine. You go away. <clears throat> now, most people would do that. And historically, most people have done that. But not Abram. He said, hey, you get first pick. doesn't matter to me. Or if it does matter to me, I'm going to set my desires aside and let you have what you wish. Now, there's a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Because he was willing to give up what was there in order to make Lot happy. Now, there are times to do that. There are times not to do that. Uh, in the temple of God, when Christ went in there and he found the money changers and they were making merchandise in the temple, he didn't say, well, you know, this is the temple of God, but I'll back off and let you have it if you want it. Uh, so there's a time to give. There's a time to share. There's a time to give somebody first choice. And there's a time to turn over the money changers' uh, tables and run them out. So you've you got to understand the context of what's going on 
wherever you are, whenever you are, uh, and read the circumstances right and do what God would have you do. And it does vary. <clears throat> in this particular case, it was simply a matter of personal choice. They were in the land where God had had them go, uh, and there wasn't enough room for them both. So Abraham said, you have first say. Uh, had a very serving, giving, loving, sharing attitude. That's what we're all supposed to have. There's a reason we need to look to the pit where we came from. <laughs> is to be to have this kind of mindset and attitude. Anyway, uh, Lot lifted his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, verse 10, that it was well watered everywhere before the Eternal destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Eternal, like the land of Mitzrayim, as you come into Zoar. So part of Mitzrayim was a very verdant land, in the land of Goshen, where Israel settled and they raised much cattle and so on, even as slaves. But this part of the Promised Land was a very uh, abundant, plentiful place. Now, if you go where they say Sodom and Gomorrah were in the Middle East, kind of on the southwest uh, side of the Dead Sea, and they say it looks like some uh, fired brimstone ashes and stuff are left, uh, there's not much there. A camel have a tough time making a living right there. Uh, and I've read uh, from the archaeologists... Uh, accounts of the Middle East and of Israel and that land, and they say that there is no evidence that they've discovered anywhere that there has ever been a climate change in that area, that it has always been the way it is today. Uh, and, you know, they dig up different layers and so on and how people lived, and I don't know all the things they judge it by, but they do say that there is no evidence of there ever being a climate change. So if that was, at that time, abundant and plentiful and watered everywhere, uh, what happened? Or is it somewhere else, which you and I have studied? Now they do say there's been a change here. It's drier now than it used to be. We were up at Parowan Gap just the other day, and even the Indians say that there used to be a lot more water coming off the mountains uh, generations back. And the geologists say that there's been an upthrust in this area, that it's been raised, uh, and that the lava flows that are on Cedar Mountain are less than 5,000 years old. Now, most lava flows they examine around the earth, they'll say are 300 million years old, or whatever. Uh, but they say that these are very, very young, that there has been a definite change here in the way that things are now as opposed to how they used to be. Even when the Mormon pioneers came here, this area where we're sitting today had grass everywhere up to the cattle's belly. And now it's been taken over by junipers and uh, rabbit brush and sage and so on. So there's been a climate change right here where we're sitting today in the last 150 years over what it was. been overgrazed terribly, and then the, the weeds and the brush took over where the grass had been. But they see no, no sign of any climate change there. 
<clears throat> in Deuteronomy 8, it says the promised land will be a place of much water and everything you need. And that's this nation. It's not that one. Anyway, I keep saying that, but we come across scriptures all the time that show that that was not, or is not, and was not what the Bible describes, and even right here. If the area where Sodom and Gomorrah was was like the Garden of Eden, uh, that's changed a lot over there. <laughs> There's not much there now where they say it was. So Lot chose the plain of Jordan and so on. Verse 12, And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Eternal. And the Eternal said, verse 14, to Abram, after Lot was separated from him, Lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, every direction. For all the land which you see, to thee will I give it, and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall your seed also be numbered. So he told him, Arise and walk through it all. The length and the breadth, I'm going to give it to you. So he removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. And again, he built an altar to God. So God had reiterated his promise, and Abram gave thanks. That characteristic showing up yet again. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> it mentions in chapter 14, verse 3, uh, the salt sea. And it's assumed, of course, that that's the Dead Sea in the Middle East. But we have a much bigger salt sea up north of here that stretches from eastern Utah all the way to Nevada and beyond and uh, did come around to the south. And then we have uh, the little salt lake up here outside of Parowan just across from the hill of Jerusalem. So there's <coughs> a huge salt sea here and a smaller one. So which is this one talking about? Anyway, that's apart from uh, the character of Abraham, but just a passing thought. <clears throat> anyway, here came some peoples in chapter 14 who uh, captured Lot and his family and all the things of Lot. And then Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, verse 14, and he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to Dan. Dan was up in the north of the promised land. So, Abram had quite a retinue. <laughs> 318 men of his own house. <coughs> and he went up to fight and brought back all the goods and brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Verse 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter and of the kings that were with him. And Melchizedek, that's Christ, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Uh, that's interesting that Abram 
went out to rescue his nephew. Now, they had had a fight in the past. Abram had given him his choice, and now Lot was taken captive, and a lot of people would have said, well, that's too bad. Now I got all the land. Uh, but not Abram. He went and took care of it. <clears throat> well, Christ came. He was the king of Salem. Salem is the way it's spelled out in ge- geology up here. A U, a, a, a flat area, and then the Eam, the twins, uh, the volcanoes, that spell out Eusalem, or Salem. So Christ was the king of Salem, all the way back there. Interesting, he brought bread and wine. <clears throat> to feed them. Now, what are the symbols of his body and his blood today? (laughs) The bread and the wine. So he offered a service of bread and wine even back there to Abram after Abram had done a good good deed. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So God appreciated that Abram would go to bat for his brother, or his son-in-law, I mean his nephew, excuse me, uh, and rescue him and take care of him. In other words, he was of service. His nephew got in trouble. He took care of it. He helped. Did what needed to be done. And that service God uh, was impressed with and blessed Abram for it. (coughs) Verse 20, And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand, And he gave him tithes of all. So, uh, this is the first time tithes are mentioned in the Bible. But Abram gave his tithes to Melchizedek, to Christ, of all that he had. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. Because he had rescued not only Lot, but uh, the things of Sodom as well. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand to the Eternal, the Most High God, the Possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoelace, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner and Eshcol and Mamre, let them take their portion." So they had the spoils of war. Not only did he regain those things that Lot and Sodom lost, but they had the spoils of the ones whom they defeated. And Abram said, I'm trusting God. I'm giving him a tithe of all I possess, uh, and I'm not going to take anything for myself. Now, it may be that he was giving tithe on the, the booty, the loot that they took. Uh, here, but he would not take anything for himself. He gave 10% to God, and the 90% went back to those who had owned it, except for a portion that went to the men with Abram. So again, he's very generous, very fair, beyond fair. Uh, he, he gave until it hurt, if you will. So another characteristic of Abraham, or of Abram coming out here. Do we then wonder why God was willing to work with this man when he was so generous, so kind, so helpful, and put his own life and the life of his household in danger by fighting a war for his nephew? What did Christ say? 
Most of us wouldn't die for anybody, but for the sake of a good man, even a few might be willing to die. Abram was following through on what Christ would later teach. He put his own life and those of his family and his servants in jeopardy for someone else. He was willing, if you will, to die for Lot, if it came to that. You don't go to war without the chance of dying and without understanding that you might die in war. So he put his life at stake for his nephew. Okay. Uh, chapter 15. After these things, the word of the eternal came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So God tells him, you're not in danger. I'm going to take care of you. I'll shield you, I'll protect you, and I will give you great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? I don't have any heirs of my own, and my leading servant will wind up with everything I've got. So he was concerned about not having children. Now, he'd already been promised he would be as the sand of the sea, but he didn't see any evidence of that. Uh, Sarah was still barren. Now look at it from where he stood. He had exceeding cattle herds. He had much silver and gold. He had a big family and all kinds of servants. He was in a beautiful land like the Garden of Eden, uh, with, with watered everywhere. He had every physical thing that you could possibly desire. There wasn't anything God could give him that he didn't already have and had been given. So the only thing on his mind was, where's the kids? What are you going to do about this? This is what I'm concerned about. Of course, God knew that. knew it all along. But Abram made a request, basically. So if we're obeying God and serving God, we have every right to go to God and ask a request of Him, do we not? Uh, through Christ, He says, anything that we ask, if it be within the will of God, He will grant us. Uh, and that's a promise that goes on forever. So we do have that right to go. And even for healing, He says, uh, to be anointed in the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, that's happened many, many times, and I've seen it many, many times. And yet we're in a time right now where we don't see it as often as even in this age we have because God has turned His face from us and He's not blessing us in the way that He's going to. But very shortly now, He's promised that's all going to change. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. All those things are going to happen in this age as an example to the world that God is God. The witnesses have to have something to preach. You know, you can't just go out and say, there's a God up there, you ought to worship Him. Now, well, how's, that going to, you know, what, how's that going to impress them? But what if you can say, there's a God that's blessing those people, and that one was without a leg, that one was without ears, that one was totally blind, and uh, that one was dead. I expect there will be a resurrection or two here in the end. There has been at other times when God has begun to do things in a dramatic fashion, hasn't there? 
Yes, there has. And it wasn't only Christ who did it, but it was the apostles as well. And Elijah. I mean, all the way back, you go forward with that kind of thing. So, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what He's done in the past, He's going to do in the future. So, those blessings will return. Now, Abram was, he was in the same position you and I are right now. God's promised all these things. Where are they? <laughs> you know? Do we get discouraged and frustrated and say, well, you know, is that really true? Is that for the immediate future? Is that for us? Because we don't see it. What's faith all about? We've read the context of those things, and the context is prior to the millennium, that those things will happen in a small way, not worldwide, like the millennium. But it'd be easy to say, well, I don't see any answer. I go childless. <laughs> that, was, that was Abram's complaint. You know, you've said you're going to do all these things. I'm not holding a baby here. What's going on? Now, maybe he didn't have exactly that attitude, but he still had the question that he put to God. Abram said, Behold to me, you've given no seed, and one born in my house, there's not one. Behold, the word of the Eternal came to him, saying, This shall not be your heir, his servant, uh, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. It's going to be your kid, not some servant. And he brought him abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if you be able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your seed be. Well, he still hadn't given him any seed. He's still just giving him promises. Now, this is not the first time God has made this promise to Abraham. He said it before and still no evidence. Now, how did Abram react? And he believed in the Eternal, and the Eternal then counted it to him for righteousness. When God told him this, when Christ told him this, he believed it. Do we begin to see why he is the father of the faithful? God tells me something, I believe it, I go do it. And he said to him, I am the Eternal that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. So he reiterates to him, well, you don't have any kids yet, but didn't I tell you I'd give you some land if you'd come? Well, here it is. You're in it. You and I could say the same thing. He told us he needed a place out near Zion, and here we are. Haven't gotten some other blessings yet, but here we are. What goes around comes around, and what has been will be, and things don't change. God does the same things over and over and over again. And that's why Paul was able to say that those things that are written in the Old Testament and the things that happened there were for our benefit and for our learning. So we go back here and we find that Abram was going through the same thing we're going through. And we need to be faithful just like he was and believe the promises of God. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He said, you know, can you show me something that will help me believe? I believe, but do something to help me grasp the reality of this, if you will. 
And he said to him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took to him all these, and divided them in the midst, butchered them, cut them apart, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he didn't cut up. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. There's darkness, and then once... Have you ever been in a situation where the darkness just really scared you? Uh, this was a deep darkness. This was maybe a darkness like it was there uh, in Mitzrayim when darkness came over, and it was so dark. One of the plagues, it was so dark that it just scared people. Uh, no light. So he must have had that same experience. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Now, they may have gone into Mitzrayim and lived there thirty years uh, before the slavery began to occur, but the total time there was four hundred thirty years to the day, as we find from other scripture. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. He lived 175. But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So he's telling him what is about to transpire that he's not going to see his children as the sand of the seed himself, see himself, but they'll go into captivity in Mitzrayim, and there they will multiply, and they will come out of there with great substance. Well, did that happen? Did they spoil the Egyptians and take their treasures, their gold, their silver, uh, and their cattle, and so on, and come out with great riches into the wilderness? Yes, they did. So he told him, this is what's going to happen. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces of the animals. In the same day, the Eternal made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed have I given this land from the river of Mitzrayim unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Uh, I wonder if the Colorado River is the Euphrates, the Great River, uh, very possible, biggest one around here, and so on, and that you'll have this land that belongs to a whole bunch of people. So, but, but the saga continues in chapter 16. Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children, and she had a handmaid, and, he, and a, a Mitzrayite, whose name was Hagar. Now, here may have been another area where total trust in God might have been better. But since God had not yet made good his promise that Abram would have a child from his own bowel, they began to reason, perhaps, that, well, maybe Sarah isn't going to be the mother, but Abram will be the father. So Sarah thought about that. I mean, she had been trying to get pregnant now for decades and decades, and nothing had happened. So she went to Abram, 
and said, Behold now, the Eternal has restrained me from bearing. I pray you go in to my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai. Uh, probably she had to talk for a month to get him to do that. Uh, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> but uh, she thought, well, if, if Hagar has a baby, then I can claim it since I'm the actual wife and she's just my handmaid. So that wouldn't have been the reality, but in terms of servanthood, yeah, you could say in a way it would be her child, but not one that she had. So he reluctantly went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So Hagar's reaction was, you've been trying to have a baby for years, and God shut your womb, and now I have one. And or will have one, and uh, I'm better than you. <laughs> Jealousies occurred. And generally, even though God allowed polygamy in the Old Testament, uh, the examples where you find it being done, there are always jealousies between the wives, there are jealousies between the children. It creates all kinds of problems. So it may have been allowed because of the hardness of their hearts, but it doesn't mean it was the best thing. And we'll see the fruit of this situation. I mean, right off the bat, Hagar says, Fooey uh, on you, Sarah, I'm better than you are. Your husband's done better with me than he did with you. <coughs> and Sarah, I said unto Abram, My wrong be upon you. <laughs> just, I'm the one that instigated this. And uh, But you're the one that did it, buddy. Uh, my wrong's on you. This is your fault, not mine. So it even created then a problem between Abram and Sarai. I've given my maid to your bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, the eternal judge between me and you. Who's the one that made the, the problem here? It was you. I didn't get her pregnant. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as it pleases you. He said, Hey, I'm, I'm out of this. This, this is your baby. You, you, you take care of this. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So she must have laid it on her verbally, maybe physically, who knows. Uh, she was hard on her in any case. And she fled. It was, it was bad enough that she left. And the angel of the eternal found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, why are you out here? And where are you going? And she said, I flee from Sarai. I'm scared. I don't, I don't want to be back there. I may die. The angel of the eternal said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands. And the angel said, I will multiply your seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Uh, later on, he told uh, Abram that out of Ishmael would come uh, 12 princes, and so on. Uh, and the angel said to her, Behold, you are with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Eternal has heard your affliction. Ishmael meaning, God shall hear. And he will be a wild man. <clears throat> now, Abraham was not, or Abram was not a wild man. Uh, and Sarai was not a wild woman. 
unless she was jealous over Hagar, I guess. Uh, but maybe Hagar's background was what Ishmael took on, because God said he'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every man. <clears throat> He's not going to like people. Uh, he's going to be combative. He's going to be uh, an angry, wild person who will be violent. And every man shall hand shall be against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brothers. So he's going to be there, but he'll be a pain to everybody. Uh, fast forward a few thousand years, and do you have a wild ass of a man or the seed thereof all over the Middle East today who are against everybody and everybody's more or less against them. Pretty much been the case. And she called the name of the Eternal that spoke to her, You, God, see me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that sees me? In verse 15, Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. Uh, and Abram was 86 years old when this happened. Now, the issue was not resolved. And I suspect that the uh, circumstances and the relationship there <coughs> didn't get a whole lot better. Maybe they kind of learned to live with it. But it went on now for uh, another 13 years anyway, uh, in which Hagar and Sarai were at odds, and Ishmael was growing up as the only son, and, and feeling like an only child and an only son, and probably was spoiled rotten, uh, which was partly what led to his being a wild man, because he was going to see things turn around, and he would not be the heir, and that would have been enough to make him angry. Uh, look at Esau and how after all that went on there, uh, he turned against Jacob and became a very angry and violent man because that which he thought was his was not his anymore. And uh, that may have been part of his uh, attitude <clears throat> where he lashed out at everybody. Anyway, in chapter 17, then, uh, we need to finish this up for today. Uh, well, why don't we just stop there rather than getting into 17, because this is a, a very interesting story beginning right here in 17 of what happened as a sequel to the trouble that came in the family as a result of Hagar and Ishmael. So, it being 12.15, let's stop for today, and we'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock. <laughs>